Welcome. This is United We Stand, a conservative podcast. Uh, on we have Landon, Kelly, and Stephen, and I'm Corbett. Okay, so coronavirus has obviously affected the economy significantly. Um, a lot of people are out of work. A lot of people still have bills to pay. And what do y'all think the effect is going to be long term? Um, do you think that the Trump's policies uh, regarding the coronavirus are effective? And if not, what can he do to make it better? I think it's all a sham. I it's think a sham? That it's a sham. Yeah, I okay. think that the virus was created in China and I think it was released intentionally. And I think all of this is just one big joke because they said like the early numbers, they're projecting like 2 million people dead. And in the US, we're at like maybe 40,000. And then they reduced the death count in the US by 40% as well a few days ago. So I just think like, it's not something that we should have closed down like this for. Um, obviously people are gonna die and that's awful. But we don't, I don't want to compare it to the flu. Like, I know people get mad about that. But, like, the flu kills people and we don't shut down for that. That's what I don't understand because I think the precautions we took first were good. But as the weeks went on, we kind of realized, oh, this isn't really such a big deal. So I don't understand why we're still, like, only 25% open. I think it should be a lot more open than that. And I just think that it's all been blown out of proportion by the media. Okay, so earlier you said it was a, a fake virus, I believe, by China. What do you mean by that? Um, well, I think that it was made in a lab, and I think that other people think that as well. And I think that, I don't know if they released it on purpose, but I kind of think they do. I know it's like kind of conspiracy stuff, so it's you have to kind of come up with your own ideas, but I think there's a good possibility that this was all intentional. Um, we know that China knew about it and they didn't really they didn't really take action quickly. If they had told us, then we could have been more prepared for it. Um, and I also think that their numbers are also really skewed because there's no way, I think last time I looked at it, maybe 80,000 people had died there. There's no way. Like, they're so much bigger than us, they've only had 80,000 people die. Well, so, a big part of the Chinese culture is, uh, mainland Chinese culture, is uh, saving face and putting mm -hmm. your best foot forward. Um, but I don't think it's necessarily malice that, like, there may have been an accident in a lab and it may have been released. Um, but I don't think it, it's, it's plausible or it's, it's right to assume that they released it out of malice, you know. Um, I think we need to wait for like evidence and facts to come out too. Like mm -hmm. when this is all over, when we get this behind us, the coronavirus behind us, and we can actually go into China and see if they even let us. I know that China kicked out a lot yeah, of Yeah, they, they probably won't though. I don't think they will either. No, they, they, they won't. Um, um, what I'd like to see regarding uh, international, regarding the international community is that we collectively have healthcare standards, sanitary standards. And if we're going to interact with each other, um, say uh, America interacting with China, if we import or buy any kind of products, then they need to meet certain sanitary standards for their meat production or their food production. 
th this is ridiculous um, that it's not not necessarily that the coronavirus came from the wet markets. Um, it, it's possible, but the fact that wet markets exist in mega cities with a population of several million in the modern day is absolutely ridiculous. And that's a hotbed for numerous viruses to spring up in the future. And those should be shut down. Yeah. I saw some reports that came out that some of the first cases in the United States came from Europe. Did you have you guys seen that report? Yeah, it's, it's definitely possible. Uh, we have a lot of travel coming from both China yep. and Europe. But um, I think the biggest the biggest thing with with China is that it's possible that they did not release this virus with, uh, with the intention of malice, but they 100% covered it up. Uh, and that should be taken as, you know, a negative, you know, sort of thing. Um, if something like this is happening, you have to tell us. Otherwise, it gets to this global scale, and we're all running around not knowing quite what to do. Um, if China had been more honest and more open and said, hey, we have a bit of a problem, we probably would have helped them if, you know, contain this to, you know, Wuhan or China as a whole, and we wouldn't be in this spot. Um, as for it being created in a lab, uh, I, I, don't, I don't think that's the case. In order for it to be created in a lab, human technology uh, has evolved to where there's a very specific signature on a virus or any sort of pathogen that's created. Okay. Uh, this, Hold up. This, what do you mean this, created in a lab? Like, okay, what do you mean by that? When you, like biological you know, warfare. Like you alter okay, the genome. Okay, so a weaponized version. Weaponized, a weaponized pathogen. Okay. Uh, this, there, there are very specific uh, procedures and very specific marks on a pathogen that shows if we tampered with it. This virus um, has none of those. It's actually too good to be. It's too good to be human-made. Um, the you know the genome is is too too well constructed to be made in a lab. Um, only nature could have could have created something like this. Um, now, as for people dying, obviously that is bad. Right now, John Hopkins is reporting 72,000 deaths in the United States. Oddly enough, China only reports 4,000. Uh, so again, those numbers are completely skewed. But I think what's important to remember is that back in March, when all of the, uh, all of the shutdowns were starting, we all remember it, in the span of about three days, we sort of went from, you know, active to just absolutely I think the NBA grinding. NBA first. I remember yeah, the NBA grinding to a halt. And then we all get the notifications and we were all like, stuck. Yeah, yeah. Back then, the, the message that, you know, the experts were putting down were saying, you know, we need to flatten the curve, right? You know, flatten the curve, you know, to help, you know, ease the strain on hospitals. What we've now seen... I think is this idea of trying to eliminate the curve. Again, I think that is very, you know, skewed thinking. Uh, flattening the curve insinuates that people are going to get sick. Uh, it's it's inevitable. All right, just like with any other pathogen, people are going to get sick. Um, if we try to eliminate the curve, uh, you start trampling on, on you know on people. You know, we see up in Michigan, um, the governor has through her executive powers, her emergency powers, has been able to dictate what you can and cannot buy from the grocery store. Um, that's absurd. That has nothing to do with, you know, coronavirus. And it's all under the guise of, you know, if it just saves one life, right? We all, we, we hear that from, you know, 
mayors in their press conferences, you know, if we, if it just saves one life, this is all about, you know, just saving one life, it'll be worth it. And I think that's very dangerous thinking um, because you can apply that same logic to just about any problem. You know, if, if we're, if the goal is to save just one life, we should, you know, the argument should be made that, you know, we should change the speed limit on the highways from 70 to 30. I guarantee you the number of highway deaths on the highway will go drastically down, you know, but that's not realistic. Uh, part of being in a society is managing risks and rewards, you know, freedom and safety. Uh, and if, you know, that's sort of at the crossroads that we're at right now, where some states are, you know, opening up, Texas is opening up with phase one as they did, uh, what have been May 1st and phase two coming down the line. And you have states like uh, Michigan that uh, they are not going to be opening for the foreseeable future. Definitely. That's why so I think that, sorry, I just think that it's been so easy for us to like give up our freedoms and our liberties. And I think that to an extent, maybe that's what the government could be going for. Like, I just think it's, I've already said, I kind of think it's a conspiracy theory. I just don't see that this is actually something that could happen on its own. Um, but but yeah. no 5G towers, right? No 5G towers. All right. No, I, that doesn't have anything to do with it. Uh, right. Well, that's interesting. So back to Steven, you said that uh, the, that it could not have been made in a Chinese lab. Um, yes. Do you think it's plausible that it could have been made that it could have been held, not made, in a yes. Chinese lab. Okay. Yes, it is. I think it is very possible because, you know, that is one of the premier um, research labs in China that they, you know, Similar had... Similar to the CDC in the U.S. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is very much possible. I think at this point it is likely that uh, they, it either came from the wet market or they had specimens with the coronavirus, uh, bats, bats or snakes. I think bats is the leading theory, but snakes is still on the board. Uh and, you know, there are reports, these are unconfirmed, but because that lab was extremely close to the wet markets, once they were done testing, the re unconfirmed reports, because, you know, it's China, nothing is ever confirmed there, um, that they would then sell the animals to the wet markets, you know, black market type, uh, black market type deal. And um, so, yes, I, I would totally buy that uh, it or that it got out of a Chinese lab. I just don't think it was created in one. Okay. Okay, um, so back to the, the question of liberty in Michigan. Um, if you've read some reports, and this is kind of um, obscure, but the, the meat production has been severely affected by the cut in demand. Um, the grain has, so meat and grain, like all kinds of uh, agricultural products, they have a, a, short, a certain shelf life. And Okay, so let's take pigs, for example, uh, pork. So it takes 10 months uh, till, till birth, until slaughter for a pig to, to live. Um, the, the, the farmers, and I don't, I don't know if farmers necessarily the right term, like ranchers perhaps, but um, they have a, uh, they're working on very small margins. And if they can't, if no one's buying the meat, if there's not a market for that kind of meat, then they're going to have to make the choice of either biting the bullet and paying more to continue to feed that livestock 
or they're going to have to slaughter the livestock. Um, so, yeah. So uh, the issue is more like a scarcity issue, and I, I've read that there are concerns. Now, I'm not like an agricultural guy, um, but I'm just trying to bring this point up. If there are concerns that the food production and is going to be affected, and that there's scarcity in that will take place. And a lot of government officials are putting in, or it's speculated that a lot of government officials are putting in these measures to try to mitigate the effect of food scarcity. Yeah. What are your um, thoughts? Who wants to take that one? I, I mean, I'll take it. Um, so with with meat, honestly, that, that same problem could be applied to just about any industry in the United States right now. Demand is at an all-time low. I mean, we saw oil uh, reach negative value. Uh, well, Stephen, I just want to make a point about meat production is that it takes time. Okay. It takes uh, time to because they have to grow yeah, yeah. to a certain size okay. of slaughter. Yeah, yeah. So in that case, I'll switch my example to say uh, agriculture like potatoes, you know, fruits, yeah. vegetables. Um, I think that'd be a, a more accurate uh, example. Um, there will always be a demand. I think the other problem that we're going to start having here pretty soon is that with all of the travel restrictions, um, we will always have those, these products, the, we will always have these products readily available. But I think what we'll also end up having a problem with is getting them from place to place where they need to go to be processed and then inevitably sold uh, with all the travel restrictions put on right now, that is becoming increasingly difficult. So it is, I think it's a two-step problem. Yes, people are not buying as much, you know, food as, as they were previously. However, there will always be a demand for food. Um, I, I don't imagine the human race will just suddenly not get hungry anymore. Um, and then there's getting it to the shelves. Now, so far, I think we've done a pretty good job. Uh, the few times that, you know, I've gone out, stocks have, the, the shelves have been pretty well stocked. Um, you know, we not don't have Denton. any, we don't, well, not in Denton. That's because I live in the middle of nowhere, my not guy. But, uh, you know, I don't think, I don't think we're, at, I think we're past the point of uh, toilet paper hoarders. Um, hopefully I don't want to see any more of them. Uh, but yeah, I mean, and again, not only the agricultural industry will be affected by this, but, uh, just about every industry will. Definitely. Um, so another point I'd like to bring up, um, on the meat production is that a lot of the, the meat packers that are working the slaughterhouses and package it and process it. Um, a lot of them don't want to go come into work. And some of them have been told not to go into work and others have decided for their own personal safety that they don't want to. Um, and if you've looked at processing plants that there is a lot of human labor involved and they're pretty um, close in contact. So the meat packing plants are operating at between 50 to 25%. And the reason, and of course there are going to be a desire and a demand for food, but the, the question is a, one of economics. And if the, the farmers are, are bleeding money trying to feed all these animals that no one is buying, then they're going to have to make the choice as, of just slaughtering a lot of them. And if they slaughter a lot of animals, then that's going to create um, less supply in the short term. So long term, in like 10 years, or long term, 10 years, we're obviously going to be fine. But in the short term, um, I think there's going to be some some scarcity issues. Yeah, I mean it's a global economic crisis. Uh, 
you know, I'd be I'd be shocked if there wasn't. Now, you you were talking earlier about the speculation that the government that the federal government might might get involved. Were you well, not necessarily the federal government, but I think that with cases like these and to mitigate scarcity and um, like bread lines and, and all that, that there are some government officials that are trying to take measures to manage the scarcity. So what are your thoughts on that? So they'd be buying the excess similar to FDR's agriculture? Not necessarily. Uh, that's one plan that I've read about, but some are just making uh, like production quotas, you know, that you need to, like it or not, you need to produce so much um, for the meat packings. I've heard that floated. Um, others are uh, price fixes, you know. Um, so there's all kinds of measures, and I'm just wondering what your thoughts are those are. Anyone? I think everybody's getting bailouts and I don't necessarily think that's right because I don't I don't know there's not a good answer I don't think but bailouts aren't really the right answer <laughs> I guess that's what I would say I just think that uh, we're all gonna suffer it's gonna be bad but the government shouldn't be stepping in and bailing out these corporations and these businesses not just like food but like I know cruise ships right now they're gonna get bailouts I'm sure of it I mean that's not necessary I can see why it's it's reasonable at least for like the food industry because we need that but I don't know I just think that we wouldn't be having to bail people out like this if we hadn't shut down like this and I think a lot of it could have been could have been avoided by either shutting down slower or shutting down for a smaller amount of time and reopening quicker. But yeah. I just think that it's been mishandled. Yeah. I'm glad that was yeah. shut down, but I think as it was, we needed to shut down because we didn't even know what was going to happen. We haven't, because people started to get into coronavirus so fast and we didn't know how it spread and stuff like that. And, mm -hmm. and I think I'm, I'm happy that we're starting to open up because all the things you guys were just talking about is, is suffering in the United States, but I think opening up slowly is best. Not opening up all at once. I think states like Michigan, like what you're talking about, Stephen, is I think you need to start opening up a little bit, even though I think the cases, some cases are going up still and not all of them are going down. And it's a hard situation to go by, but all these businesses and people are hurting and just got to open up slowly and slowly. My church opened up uh, last Sunday and we still, everyone was six feet away and we still applied the CDC uh, guidelines to church. And I thought it was very safe. And between each service, they sprayed down the seats and everything. And I just think we can all, it's up to the governor, of course, but open up slowly. And I think that's how we can help the economy get back on track. Yeah. I mean, hindsight is always twenty twenty. You know, we can always look back and say, oh, we should have, we shouldn't have, we should have done it earlier. We should have done it later. But uh, I think at, at the point that we were, we, did, we had no idea what was going on. You know, was it an extreme measure? Yes, but it was one that, you know, could be justified. I think now, because we've learned a lot more about this virus, including the fact that it's been around a lot longer than we realized, um, and that mo there are millions of more people infected that are simply asymptomatic. They don't exhibit symptoms for whatever reason. The, the virus just does not activate. Um, a lot of a lot more people have it. Uh, and those people, you know, they should be allowed to, to go to work. Um, now, we were getting into the thing about, you know, liberties, and you know, that sort of that sort of deal. Um, 
And a lot of people that don't want us to start opening up there, you know, he's like, Oh, you know, you're just going to let everybody with coronavirus, everybody's going to get coronavirus and we're all going to die. And on the flip side of that, you have, you know, protesters saying, you know, if, if we don't open up 100% right now, you know, the world's going to end. And I think both of those are very extreme. Well, I think straw mans. Yeah. They're straw mans. Yeah. Once again, it's, it's, you have to balance, you have to balance risk and reward. Uh, because I think that we, in Texas, it's been like Abbott wants to make both sides happy, so neither sides are happy. Yeah, uh, because on one side, again, you don't want too many people getting coronavirus, but you have to understand people are going to get coronavirus. Well, people and, need to buy food. They need income, yeah, yeah. right? If people Does need it, income, it, would you rather them yeah. die from coronavirus or would you rather them die from simply not being able to eat? Uh, you know, it's, it's a double-edged sword. People have to pay rent, and it's like – I. I don't have a fat stimulus check like Steven. So I didn't get one. A... I heard Steven hey man, got a check. I didn't get listen, one. Listen, I, I don't know how that <laughs> I happens. Get one. I really don't. Yeah. So we're kind of to figure it out. Um, so let's talk about the bailout. Kelly, you mentioned you don't want any bailouts whatsoever. Well, um, I think that for like food industries, I don't really know where I stand on that because I don't think that a bailout is usually the answer, but this is kind of a, a weird situation. But for other anything outside of food uh yeah i don't think there should be a bailout yeah. okay yeah, by think... bailout what do you mean like are, government there's intervention. different kinds of bailouts mm -hmm. so, i just think that the government like i don't think that the government should be giving out any money or helping businesses by giving them money at all i just don't think that that's their job but food like i said I'm not sure where I, I see in this that. case they have to. Yeah, yeah, I think because like if if we look at the the two biggest financial crises of our life of our lifetime, there's this and there's 2008. 2008, there should not have been any bailouts. Those businesses ran terrible business models, and when it failed inevitably, yeah, I don't think they should have gotten any money. Well, the, the, difference, the issue with it's 2008 was very different because yeah, it was this this the, the property and mortgages. Yeah, this. this is, statewide this is every industry yeah this however industry is when the government is the one forcing these businesses to close yeah you know you can't just shut them down and then leave them out to dry um and so because otherwise nobody gets any income and then society will inevitably break i down. just think like i agree with what you're saying like government is making them shut down but then, to me, if they're making them shut down, why are they going to spend more money on bailouts when they could be open? Like, like I said, I think that it was smart to shut down for a couple weeks because we've all said we didn't know where this is going. But about two weeks okay, ago... Okay, Kelly, can I, can I talk to you about one thing? Okay, so yeah. um, during the Revolutionary War, the British would quarter soldiers in Americans' homes. And mm -hmm. we didn't like that because the government put a burden upon us with mm -hmm. no compensation. So that's why it's illegal to do that now. So mm -hmm. we can't, you can't quarter uh, soldiers and citizens homes without paying them or some, some kind of, of remedy. And like, mm -hmm. it, it's not socially acceptable anymore. But the, the logic is, is that the government is placing a burden upon the populace mm -hmm. with no compensation. So the government's t telling you to do that and you, you don't have any way to, to subsidize that. So 
uh, the government's essentially mandating debt, you know, is mm -hmm. people are burning through their savings. And I know that we're college students and we're already in debt. So uh, we're doing, we're faring a bit better than a lot of people, but most people don't have endless savings and they don't have the, uh, the those college loans that they're living off of, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so, so it's hard. And I, I definitely disagree with the idea of just printing more money. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, because that just hurts everyone and that devalues the, the real wealth that people already have. And I think that hurts the economy more, but if you want low interest or no interest loans, um, from the government in order to sustain the business, I think that would be, uh, better. You know, mm -hmm. or perhaps certain tax credits. Yeah, I think, I think what a boil, what what we should end up doing here is, is we should let people choose. Um, if if they don't want to work, you know, if they that's up to them. If they, you know, if, if their personal, if they feel their personal safety, um, from this specific from the coronavirus is more important than, you know, being able to sustain themselves in the in the long term. And that's you know, you know, whichever way you like, both sides can be justified, you know then you should be able to do that. But if you want to go to work, you should also be allowed to do that too. No one, no one is forcing you to go to work. And if they are, they shouldn't be. Mm -hmm. um, I know a lot of, you know, if you're deemed essential, which the definition of essential is, is kind of flimsy right now. But, um, you know, if we should, we should open up slowly. I think Texas is doing a pretty good job with that, you know, because we're, we're constantly reevaluating. I think right now, uh, most places, retails, restaurants, you know, movie theaters, I think it's 25% occupancy right now, you know, with, with, with standard social distancing. Like, that, that is a great way to get some people back to work. You're, you're not going to get everybody back to work, and you're not going to get everybody back to working full time, but it's a start. Um, because if this keeps up too long, like you said, everybody's burning through their savings. There's not going to be a whole lot of savings, if any, left. Um, you know, people need money, um, and the government just can't keep printing out more because then everybody ends up poor and we end up like venezuela yeah uh oh do you hear about venezuela so there were two people that they were the 10th something of special force of veterans anyway so they were hired or they were hired by silver silver corp which is a PMF, which is a private, uh, private military firm. Um, and that's the, the, the fancy, they're de facto mercenaries, but not necessarily mercenaries. So uh, private military firms or private security firms that can range from all the way to like a mall cop to private Navy SEALs overthrowing governments um, well, they can't technically be Navy SEALs. Yeah. But because, yeah. But um, a lot of other uh, PMF would do uh, like satellite tracking. So private companies own satellites and they help with intelligence. Um, they're contracted out. So one of the reasons a lot of nations use uh, PMFs is because they provide um, a degree of flexibility the the people involved are usually highly expendable there's plausible deniability um, 
But what happened apparently is these guys sailed from Colombia to Venezuela with their passports on them, all kinds of identification, and them and 60 other guys were, were supposedly or allegedly there to kill Maduro and overthrow the government. And it's yeah. the most wild, shoddy thing ever. And what's wild is that the company that did it was live tweeting during the operation. <laughs> yeah. I think rule number, like, rule number rule number one of combat, don't tell the enemy uh, what you're doing. Um, but I, uh, <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, so they, they've captured him in there. And uh, the Venezuelan position is saying that, you know, it was orchestrated by Trump to overthrow uh, Maduro. Oh, yeah. Um, another point. Um, the Silver Corp- Corporation did is that the company that uh, is that the company that, like the uh, Trump rally. But that doesn't really mean much because those kind of companies are also do like mall cop stuff. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. Um, it's, yeah. Yeah. So uh, I know that, um, you know, you know, they're saying, oh, it was it was it was a Trump backed coup. Uh whether I, I don't think that's the case because generally when when Trump does use military force, um, he goes silent on Twitter for like twenty four hours, and that hasn't happened recently. So, uh, so do you think the DOD guys they just take his phone and be like, okay, Mr. President, you have twenty four hour embargo, no texting while we do this. Yeah, you, you know no. what? They probably don't even take his phone. They just probably um, disable turn off disable, the Wi Fi, turn off the Wi Fi in like, the White oh, House. Yeah. Yeah. No, but uh, so I've, I've got an article pulled up here um, and uh, it's from the New York Post and it's uh, Pompeo is saying that yeah. if the Maduro regime, this is a quote, if the Maduro regime decides to hold them, we will use every tool that we have available to try and get them back. Pompeo said, quote, if we had been involved, it would have gone differently, he added. Um, so, again, this is going to be some saber rattling. Okay, now, well, it's it's hard because allegedly they were found with their passports, yeah, with guns, in a boat, and f- private gun ownership is illegal, by the way, in Venezuela. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's, that's why they're not able to. Even if they were private citizens, walking into Venezuelan waters or sailing in with guns is illegal. So if if to Venezuelan law, yeah. So even if they're private citizens, and I'm not sure why Pompeo would go out on a limb for them if they are just private citizens. They're U.S. citizens. Yeah, but they're private citizens. Yeah, they're yeah, not yeah. employed in, in yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. any of the armed forces. Um, I wonder how far they went, like until they were stopped. They, they didn't get they very were, far. Yeah, so Apparently a bunch of fishermen saw them and they all snitched. Yeah. And they're like, oh, this is kind of weird. Yeah, no, but... um. Died. You know, I think, you know, Maduro is doing this, I would assume, probably because he feels that the United States is in a bit of a weakened state, um, you know, with, with the coronavirus going on. Uh, he has it, too. He, yeah, he's got, he's yeah, got his that, issues, too. But um, it's a global issue. I think it would, it would not be a very good idea to hold them for too, for too long because Trump does have a history of... Uh, actually hitting people in the in in the face when it comes to these sorts of matters um i don't know if he'll do it this time again this has sort of been 
under the radar because of what's been going on. I feel like if we weren't in the middle of a coronavirus pandemic, this would be like the number one headline. Um, but no, it'll be very interesting to keep track of, you know, uh, you know, if you if think Trump... he might take action because the election's close and his poll numbers are not the best. I mean, if probably not, he probably, again, he probably okay, won't. Well, what do you mean involved or what do, because I don't think that a military action is plausible in Venezuela. Um, uh, honestly, if, if this was a military operation, this is far worse than the Bay of Pigs. This is, At least this the Bay of Pigs horrible. landed. Yeah, like this is this is ridiculous. Like who who goes who what kind of special force person? Yeah, goes to a foreign country to overthrow the dictator with their passports on them. Yeah, I I, who does I think, that? yeah again again it's it's <laughs> so it's so botched. I don't feel it was a united. It was a U.S. military. There's op. no way. There yeah. like there's absolutely no way that was U.S. military. That's just some crackheads. Now, you know? I hope again, not. but now that they're being held captive, um, will does Trump use military action to get them back? That's okay. The well, that, that's the question. same thing yep. as um. What what's it? What what was a uh, Reagan and Carter? In Iran, uh, the, the Iran hostage crisis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so, yeah. I do you think it will escalate to that? Because essentially, they are private citizens. Yeah, but again, I don't think Americans we'll use diplomatic pressure. To... We'll probably just use diplomatic pressure. I think the diplomatic pressure will be more effective with the knowledge that Trump has a history of actually hitting people, um, because I think Maduro. Yes, he's a dictator, but part of being a dictator is still having power and people to rule. If you poke a fight with the United States military, that is not going to go well for you, especially when your people are starving and don't like you. Um, you know, I mean, they're, they're in the middle of, you know, not quite a civil war, but there are two conflicting controlling parties. You have Maduro who, you know, claims he's, you know, he's the dictator. And then you have Juan Guido, probably mispronounced that, but uh, who, who claims that he's the right president. So there are, it's already a very unstable region. It wouldn't take a whole lot from the United States to probably push that over the edge. Um, so we might not even need to use direct military action to get Maduro out of there. If that's well, what we, Steven. if that's what we want to do, if that's what we want to do. Um, Steven, so one of the narratives and the claim to, um, governmental legitimacy in Venezuela and a lot of Latin America is anti-imperialism. So if if there is any kind of interaction with the U.S., um, then Maduro will claim that it's imperialist actions here to claim the resources of the people. And that's a very popular narrative. And that's- Your oil of, isn't worth anything anymore. We don't want it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Simon Bolivar, it's- yeah. All, the, all these national narratives, national myths yeah. are based upon anti-imperialism. Yeah. Um, so I think military force would be unwise long-term because long -term, if, we, yeah. if we interact, that would undermine, with military force, that would undermine the legitimacy of the new government. If yeah. It's Juan Guajito. Yeah. Um, so I, I think diplomatic pressure would be good. Um, I've it may end up like Otto Wambier in North Korea, and they may uh, they may be hurt 
you know, they're, they're probably not uh, having the best of time right now. They're probably being questioned. Uh, questioned while getting yeah. beaten with a baseball bat. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. But it's to be a, a – I, I find it really hard to believe that something this shoddy could be be professionally done. You know? Yeah. Like, if the if the only credentials to being a spy is to just, like, not have a passport on you, then I guess we're all James Bond. So do you want to do poll numbers? I got them pulled up right now. With? Uh, the presidential. And then talking about, you know, do we really trust them? And then looking back at 2016's poll, state poll numbers. Not national polling, because everybody knows that's a joke. But the state poll numbers. Um, For the federal election? Yeah, uh, presidential. Well, states are also a joke. Doesn't yeah, yeah, that's, but that's, that's something joke. we can. Yeah, because you know, Landon doesn't necessarily think so. Um, and anyway, why not? <laughs> I don't. Oh, how off were the 2016 elections in the state? Uh, state uh, pick, pick a, pick a, pick a state. Texas, because Texas. right now, of course, we're gonna go to neck Texas. and neck in Texas. I think uh, Biden and President Trump. All right, they're Texas. They're basically tied from the polls. I know a poll that just came out is so is Texas lead. Right now, if we're looking at Texas, uh, Texas, uh, University of Tyler, this is uh, from late April, 43-43. Um, public, policy, public policy polling has Biden up one. YouGov has Trump up five. I don't know what Atlas Intel is, but up 12, four, nine, and six for Trump. Marist uh, Marist College, which is generally considered one of the best ones, has Trump up four. Uh, if we go back to 2016 and we look at Texas, Trump was up. Uh, let's see, Trump was up three according to Texas Tribune slash University of Texas CBS, University of Houston up four by Survey USA, up six by Emerson College up seven by Texas Lyceum and CBS 11 slash Dixie Strategies polling, uh, 13 by another one of those polls. Emerson had them up 14. NBC had them up nine. So that's actually pretty close to what we've been seeing. Um, you know, there are some pretty close ones that where he's up three or four. There's the couple that they're tied or Biden's up one. But then you also have them where Trump is up like 12. Um, and then we have to look at the dates too when these polls happened because yeah. I think now since the coronavirus has happened, Biden has basically tied Trump in the polls. Uh, but a few months ago, Trump was in the lead about nine points. Do you guys think the coronavirus has hurt President Trump at all? I know those approval think, ratings have yeah. gone up to like forty-five, but it's been going back down, and it's kind of like a roller coaster. It it does. I think it does damage his primary appeal, which was that the economy was doing yeah. great. Now, obviously this is the, the economy crashing isn't his fault. Nobody, it doesn't matter who is president. This was going to happen. President, um, uh, not president, Joe Biden's been attacking uh, president Trump on his uh, yeah. coronavirus response, not the coronavirus itself, but his response, like the, his response the to it. Okay. In critique. Yeah, but again, what could Trump have done in response that would have prevented this? Like, nobody could have prevented this. Well, if we uh, go once, back in time, if we remember that Trump closed the, the border 
to China. Back in January, and, I think it was. It was yeah, late January, early February. All the Democrats, Joe Biden included, saying that it was racist. Xenophobic. Don't forget xenophobic. Yes. We got to get all the buzz, also, buzzwords. I think 40,000 people still came back to the United States, even when that China ban. Well, the, the problem, like, look, hindsight's 2020, but I, I don't think that a, a lot of the Democrats are are not necessarily care about an overall best response. I think a lot of them are being opportunistic and uh, just playing politics and as usual. Um, and then they're just being contrarians against Trump. So I, I think Trump's doing a lot to, to combat the coronavirus. Um, I am concerned about the the desire by some to want a more authoritarian approach, um, approach to combating it. Yeah. And I think Trump's trying to straddle that, or at least the administration is trying to straddle effectiveness and liberty. And I, um, yeah. I think most people think that President Trump hasn't done the best with unifying the country too. They look at his uh, coronavirus, uh, coronavirus uh, like his meetings, like he has, that he has on TV, his town halls, and that he always screams at the media and he's always sparring with them and fighting. And I don't know if the people make the United States people like to see that. They like to see President hmm. Trump attacking everyone all the time uh, and attacking, attacking the, the media. And, attacking the media is is. Partly oh, that's one what thing. got him elected. Some random ass guy in a town hall is completely different. You know, you know, Joe Biden getting into it with a union worker in Michigan is very yeah, he different. Yeah, to fight him. He's like that seven was, years old. I don't, I don't know what that was. No that was cares. really when weird. President Trump, but, the president of the United States, in a pandemic, we shouldn't be saying, "I'm not going to call this governor of Michigan because she's blah blah blah." You don't. He shouldn't use that tone of divisiveness in a pandemic. I, I think that. That's what people. Okay, so that's so we were talking about attacking the media. I honestly think that he attacking the media is partly what got him elected. People like it when he attacks the media. Uh, Going after Whitmer, um, again, it's like what Corbett alluded to. You know, he's trying to balance. He's Trump when he calls bullshit. Yeah, that's what they like. Not necessarily him just attacking the media. Yeah, well, it's yeah that, but also what you mentioned earlier. You know, he's trying to balance. You know the people calling for authoritarian uh, ism or people calling like full, you know, just open everything up. He's trying to balance that. And Whitmer is, is the epitome of one side of that. You know, yeah. she's taken it a little bit too far. You, you can, you can get a ticket for standing in your yard. All right. That's, that's dumb. Uh, that, that shouldn't, that shouldn't be allowed ever. Um, and so, you know, if, if she's doing that to her people, I think he absolutely has the right to say, Hey, this is this is not good. You shouldn't be doing this. Yeah, but he doesn't um, say it like that. He calls her. He's well, saying, he, I'm not he does give you anything. That's he does what, what he like. does what Trump does, and he, he says, and he he ups the ante. Um, but I think at heart, he's just fine doing that. Um, I don't know if people like that during a pandemic when he's calling reporters that they're horrible reporters, nasty, blah blah blah. I just don't think people like seeing that. And I think I, you look at Cuomo too. He's not really attacking the media and he's, his approval ratings at like 75%. Why is his approval rating going so high? And president Trump's is going up and down around 40%. Probably because he's a democratic governor in one of the most democratic States. 
in the in the country. Um, yeah, there is speculation that Cromo is being groomed for higher office. Yeah, uh, I, I could, I could, I could buy that. I could buy um, that later. How old is he? He's in his fifties, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, I think he's fifty-two. Little old. Yeah, so he's he's still got some years in him. He, he'll he's getting well. That's groomed. pretty prime for presidency. Um, yeah, or like senator, or whatever. Um, but but yeah, so so a lot. We have to remember that the media and a lot of the mainstream media that they care about clicks and that if everything's going horribly that they can sell the fear and i i think that trump's kind of frustrated with that and that he's like you can if you look at the interviews he's extremely tired you know you, you he's can, having you can every see, day yeah well look he, he's been dealing with this for for and months. they're cutting back on this task briefings because they think it's hurting him. Isn't that kind of sad that his own advisors don't want him to have it anymore because it's hurting him? Like well, hurting his task briefing. I mean, like you mentioned, he's tired. Yeah, yeah. like, no, I think everyone in the White House is in a, a lot of government positions are just mentally drained, you know, dealing with this. Um, this isn't something that you can fix really quickly. And it's, it's, a, it's an issue of attrition. And I a lot of them are, are really hurting because of that. Um, they're not at their best, definitely. Um, I mean, who would be at their best during this? They said they're going to shut down the Cronus, coronavirus task force. I think when they, uh, they said that they're going to walk it back. Um, they said they're going to shut it down in August. Do you think it's too early to, even to the coronavirus itself? I don't know why they would shut it down by August if a lot of the scientists are saying that there may be a second wave coming. I think we should listen more to the scientists and not just his own gut feeling, like what he says a lot. Well, we are listening to the scientists. So we can't just have the coronavirus tax force exist indefinitely because that's a poor allocation of resources. Yeah. But they think the second wave is going to come in the fall. It it's may come. Yeah, yeah, I think I think because a lot of a lot of scientists are saying, oh, you know, we should shut down all the way into 2021. That is not feasible. You, you, we can't we cannot do that. It, we will not be able to function as a society if we keep this wave up for come. too long. But I don't Again, know if we should shut it down before fall. And he said he's, they're winding down the shit down, so they're already preparing to shut it down. Well, uh, winding down and shutting down are different. And we need winding to down the shut down by August. Okay. He, okay. When Trump says we'd like to do something, that is not a statement of fact. You understand that, right? Yeah, I mean, like, he's not saying this will happen. He's like, it would be good if this were to happen. That's the goal. Um, yeah, that, that's I think the goal. The, the, the second wave that that I think the scientists are alluding to, if it does happen, uh, will probably happen in the winter months because this this coronavirus does not like the heat. I think in the summer it will the heat, especially down here in Texas, where we where we have summer hotter summer and then hottest summer for uh, four months. Um, that will definitely slow it. I don't know if it'll completely stop it, but once we get back into, um, once we get back into the winter months, I think we'll see an uptick, but I don't know if it'll be this cataclysmic equally as bad second wave. Um, I think by then we'll have a much better understanding and we'll have better treatment options available. I so I honestly wouldn't have it. I wouldn't have I wouldn't have much of a problem with him 
with him shutting down in August if it's if it's not needed, but with the idea being that he can call it back into service should another wave begin. Um, so not shut down indefinitely, but just shut down for the time being. Because like Corbett said, it's it's not a very efficient allocation of resources. Um, and those resources could be used to go towards other things, especially when we're short on a lot of the resources right now. Yeah. I think you could just keep it open instead of shutting it all down. Well, Steven, this is a task force specifically designed to tackle the coronavirus. The CDC still exists. You know, yeah. it's existed throughout this entire crisis. Um, it's the, the task force is just a group of people that are, are geared towards tackling this singular issue. Yeah, and specifically. we can turn it on and off again. You know, the same people are yeah. gonna be there. Um, but it's, it's, it, it's just a group of people, you know? Yeah. I guess why I, I think saying that we'd like to get it done by get rid of it by August is, is fair with the understanding that that might that. not be the case again, but like Corbett said, these are people we can call on them when we need them. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, maybe we get rid of it, but we still keep the connections open. Uh, for if if something happens again okay uh well that concludes the podcast uh please subscribe follow us on twitter we have a twitter it can be interesting so if you're kind of bored just hop on twitter and see what we're about thanks for watching